You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Right, the Sermon on the Mount. This, this week, if you want a title, I've called it A Disciple's Worship. A Disciple's Worship. The Sermon on the Mount, we've said several times, we're going to be looking at this over 12 weeks, is Jesus' manifesto for a disciple. And so you might be here this morning and you think, I'd call myself a Christian. We'd say, great, you're a disciple. You've chosen to follow him. You may be watching or you may be here and think, I'm not quite there yet. That's fine. You are really, really welcome. And if you think, well, what would it be like to be a disciple? What would it be like to call myself a Christian, to be a follower of him? Then hopefully this gives you an insight on this. A disciple is one who follows Jesus Christ and strives to emulate his life in every way. I would say that the Sermon on the Mount is not about your hand, but about your heart. Someone once said the secret of the Christian life is the secret life of the Christian yeah, it almost needs saying it twice, doesn't it? Just to make sure we've got it right. The secret of the Christian life is the secret life of the Christian. It's so easy to think about what's public and what's seen, but actually Jesus is challenging us really about the inside. He said in Matthew 5 verse 20, your righteousness is to be superior to the Pharisees. And we were going, gosh, golly, wow, really? Because that's what it would have been like in those days. Now in Matthew 6, Jesus warns the disciples of religious hypocrisy. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a famous preacher, led a church in London, Welshman, led a church, Westminster Chapel for a long time. He said this, one of the most uncomfortable chapters to read in the entire Bible is Matthew chapter 6. Jesus, we believe these are your words. And as we literally open your word now, would you speak to us? Would we feel like we're sat at your feet and hear your words? Would we have the courage to put them into practice? Amen. Right, you've got hopefully your Bibles open. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read from verse 1 to 4. I'm going to jump then to verse 16 and read to verse 18. Giving to the needy. Be careful. Not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jumping down to verse 16, fasting. When you fast... Do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face 
so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So here we've got basically verse 1. I know it wasn't numbered when it was originally pulled together, but verse 1 is the principle. And this principle we're going to look at, to be honest, this week and next week, because Jesus basically takes this principle, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And he's then going to apply this principle in lots of different ways. I guess I just wanted to, to take a moment and think about this. The first thing Jesus, I would say, says is this, is, is when. When you give to the needy, when you fast. He doesn't say if. He doesn't say, look, if you choose to fast, I'd like you to do it this way. He doesn't say, look, if you want to give some money to the poor, I'd like you to do it this way. He says when. Jesus expects that of his disciples. Oh. Oh, he expects us to fast. And I I don't know if I feel comfortable about that. I love food. I want the verses on feasting. There are loads on feasting. But Jesus says, if you're a disciple, when you fast. Others have done it wrong. Don't stop. Do it right. That tends to be the message that's coming across. Now, you might say to me, hang on, Pete, I was here a couple of weeks ago, and I think this is contradicting what's already been said. Before men? Well, in in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Why is Jesus saying that your good deeds should be done before men, and now he's saying that they shouldn't be done before men? Isn't that contradicting? Now, you see, Matthew 5, 16, you're asked to do something before others so that your Father in heaven receives praise. But in Matthew 6, verse 1, you're not to secure praise for yourself on earth. And so there's a whole difference between, one is let your light shine so that Father in heaven receives praise, and this one is don't let people see what you're doing because you will then get a reward on earth. A Scottish theologian by the name of A.B. Bruce said, show when tempted to hide, but hide when tempted to show. I thought that's really interesting, isn't it? Show when tempted to hide. So are you tempted to hide that you're a Christian at work? No, show when tempted to hide. You know, when suddenly something comes up and you're having a drink with someone and and they say something, oh, I don't think I'll say that, I'm a Christian, it's a bit embarrassing. No, no, show when tempted to hide. But almost then the principle here is hide when you're tempted to show. <laughs> yeah, if you understood how good I am. I mean, I'm going to academy. Why not you? <laughs> it's a challenge, isn't it? Are we hypocrites? This is a favorite word of Matthew. Matthew uses this word 13 times. 13 times. Luke only uses it three times and Mark only uses it once. What's a hypocrite? A hypocrite is someone who puts on a mask deliberately setting out for the purpose of applause. That's what it was. It was someone basically that was a play actor in those days. And so they'd be on the stage and they'd literally have this mask on and they'd be setting out something so that you applauded them. 
And Jesus is saying, be careful that your good deeds are more about relief than your personal reputation. Be careful that you're much more about giving than trying to receive. Jesus is saying, play not to the gallery, but instead live humbly. That's what I believe this passage is about. And I would like to say, this is even harder now because we have social media. You see, people might have missed your good deeds in the past, so now you can put them out on social media. So if they weren't there, they can still applaud you for having done well. It used to be in those days, literally, they reckon, I mean, one of them, I try not to get sidetracked, but they were rushing to the temple because you're supposed to pray at three o'clock. But obviously, if you didn't get there at three o'clock, you stopped wherever you were. And often they raised their hands in prayer. So let's say you're in the middle of Walpole Park and you're going to church to pray and there's a huge crowd all around. And you say, oh, three o'clock. Oh, well, I'll do my prayers here. Oh, God, I worship you. And it was, of course, they're pretty holy. It was a very different culture to now. They'd probably think, you're mad. But that's what it was going on about in those days. One rabbi said that nine-tenths of all hypocrisy in the world happened in Jerusalem. This was a rabbi saying the danger was that so many people wanted to be noticed. Jesus even challenged the religious leaders in John 4. He says, how can you believe Since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only gods. So there's this principle. We're trying to understand this principle. This principle is not if I do it, when I do it. Let's not be a hypocrite. And and God will reward you. And some of us can almost feel a bit uncomfortable about that. God reward me. Yeah, it's mentioned four times in this passage. If you look at it in verse 1, in verse 4, in verse 6, and verse 18, God rewards. And sometimes in our false humility, we say, oh, no, not, no, no, not for me. This is not salvation. You don't earn salvation. You do this as a disciple, not to become a disciple. This is reward. William Barclay, the Scottish minister, said, we would be sadly short-sighted creatures who grasp the rewards of time and let the rewards of eternity go. Actually, what he's saying is, let's not try and grab a reward now, but actually there will be a day that we honestly believe that God will look at our lives and reward us for things that we've done. Jesus is saying that. This is all by way of introduction. I'm just trying to unpick verse 1. And then he uses this term that I absolutely, I tell you, next week we're going to look at it, so I can't do too long on it. Father, he uses this term 254 times in the New Testament to describe God. I never want to lose the sense of wonder and delight that God is my Father. I mean, that's phenomenal. Now, let's be honest, for some of us, that's a very difficult term. If we've not had a good Father, we think, oh, it grates. And that's why maybe we have to understand the Bible and what a good father really is. But you know, if you're a disciple, you come to him as your father. That's incredible, isn't it? He loves us. He's for us. He wants to bless us. He's about our good. And then Jesus takes this principle 
This father, this father who looks to reward you, this father who sees what's in secret, this father who's anti-hypocrite, but encourages you to do this, and he applies it to three areas. Giving is about others. Fasting is about yourself and what you're doing to control yourself. Prayer is about God. And we're going to look at these three areas. The first one, giving. Giving. Giving is a biblical mandate to the poor. I don't know about you. This can be quite a challenge, can't it? I mean, let's be honest. I know many people in this room, they work long hours and tiring and they're committed you know, and, and uh, their husband or wife say, oh, golly, they're always sat at the computer. They're always doing something else. They've made a sacrifice for it. And then whatever the, the rewards are, it's easy to think that's mine. Whereas actually the Bible says we have in order to give. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 15, the principle was this. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelite who are poor and needy. God's saying, that I want you to be open-handed. Not, you know, oh, what have you got in your pocket? Let's hide it away. Let's stick it somewhere that people can't find it. I want you to be open-handed. Are you going to be open-handed, generous? That's what God says. In the wisdom literature... In Proverbs 19, the book of the Old Testament, whoever, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. Wow. I mean, just imagine if God turned up this morning and said, hey, could, could I borrow 50 quid off you? I, I bet there'd be a queue. Yeah, yeah. Lord, Lord, have mine. <laughs> yeah. Anyone here got a grand? You know, I'm sure we'd be saying, of course, for you, Father. And yet the Bible is saying that if you are kind to the poor, you're basically lending to God. That was the principle. In fact, in the New Testament, this is picked up. And in Galatians, Paul is writing this. And he'd been having a discussion with some of the other Christians. And basically, they got to this conclusion. Galatians 2 verse 10. All they asked that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. This is a... A biblical principle. Giving. 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 Biblical principle. If you were a disciple, you would want to give to the needy. So what about the trumpets? I mean, it's funny, isn't it? I thought, oh, wouldn't it have been great if I had a whole lot of trumpets going? I could just imagine this whole brass band this morning, you know what I'm saying? I, we think this was probably irony. We think this was probably Jesus with a bit of humour. We don't think that people in those days actually got trumpets out. I think you'd think, oh, wow, that is mad, isn't it? But what I think is, is challenging is that they were giving, not giving, they were trying to buy. They were trying to buy attention. They were trying to buy respect. They were trying to buy applause. Jesus then, you know, I mean, I, I love the words of Jesus, really, because you try and get into it. You think, oh, just imagine, who's going to literally blow a trumpet? But I guess that's almost what they were doing. He goes on to then say, your left hand shouldn't know what your right hand is doing. Oh, bang on cue. I mean, look at that, impressive. The reality is you cannot help. They just worked together, didn't they? Somebody throws a ball, you catch it with both hands. Jesus is saying, hey, look, your giving will be so impulsive that it's almost like, God, it's almost unnatural 
And people say, wow, how on earth do I even think like that? But that was what he was challenging them to do. John Stott, the English theologian, said, Christian righteousness is not an external manifestation, but one of the secret things of the heart. You don't need to tell others. You don't even need to tell yourself. Do I sometimes keep a record of how much giving I've done? I, I, I challenge my own heart. I'm being really, really brutal with you. Nikki has done this academy. I would encourage you, sign up for the academy. It's great. It's a two-year course. really stretches you in your thinking and as a disciple. And she'd said, they did one there all about the poor. And, and uh, she said, Pete, well, what could we do? And you always think, what's, what's that? And we said, look, every time we're going to go to the shops, there's a big issue sell, seller. Why don't we buy the big issue? Because at least you think, you know, that they're, it's, it's a good place to support these people that really need some support. And so we've been doing that. But then the danger is, you know, how do you not sort of come home and just wave around? <laughs> I brought the big issue. How do you not make sure to just leave it on the coffee table so anyone who comes around thinks, yeah, we buy the big issue. In fact, oh, look, there's two. We've both bought the big issue. <laughs> both bought the same big issue. Oh, and look, I've got a set of ten. We've been buying it for weeks. How do I make sure that actually it's done in secret? Because Jesus said, when you give, how can I be satisfied with God only as my witness? Sometimes I think, oh, well, if people don't know I've done it, is there any point doing it? That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you're a disciple, you do it because your Father, who sees what does in secret, rewards you. What's the motivation? Surely the motivation is Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become... Wow! I mean, Jesus, you have given so much for me. Surely a giving saviour should have giving disciples. That's just the way it goes, isn't it? If we want to be like him... Uh, I, I, I'm always saying this. I feel it. I feel it intensely on this whole series. I'm loving it, but feeling terrified by it. I've said many a time, I point one finger at you. I've pointed three fingers at myself. Do I give time for the lonely? Do I give money to the poor? Do I give dignity for the downtrodden? Do I listen to those who need to talk? Jesus is saying, when? And then he follows it up with this, another example of fasting. There was three disciplines that the Jews did, lots of prayer, giving, and fasting. As I said, I'm going to do prayer next week. Again, we know that fasting was a biblical mandate. I, I wish I could have a whole morning just to go through fasting. I'm going to go very quickly. It was something the people of God did. Nehemiah, Nehemiah when they restored and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, it says the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth. There's a sort of sense of, oh, the people of God, we fast. We know in Jonah, 
that when um, he goes and preaches in Nineveh, it says in Jonah 3 that they believe God and they fasted. It's almost like they repented of their sin. I've done this wrong, God. I, I go without food, sometimes even without water. I'm fasting for you. We know individuals do it in Scripture. We know in Daniel, don't we? I, Daniel 9, I turn to the Lord and fast. We know Jesus fasted. We know that he spent 40 days in the desert. Jesus teaches on fasting. And later on in Matthew, he even says, Look, don't ever go at my disciples. They can't fast now. This is a time to party. I'm with them. But when I'm not with them, they will fast. But yet he still challenges the people then. They reckon at this time the Pharisees had got into fasting twice a week and that they used to fast on a Monday and a Thursday. Just so happened that was also market day. So obviously there was going to be lots of people around. There was some uh, suggestion when I was reading in the commentaries that they would literally take ash and put it on their head when they were fasting and they would literally try and whiten their faces to make themselves look like, oh golly, I've, I've not eaten. Jesus said instead... Oil and wash. Even that. What does it mean to us today? I'll tell you what it means. Deodorant and mouthwash. If Jesus was here today, he said, look, if you're going to fast, make sure and put some deodorant on because you smell. And make sure and keep using the mouthwash because it's unpleasant. Jesus is saying, hide it. Because it's between you and God. We know that the early church fasted. We know that they gathered together in Acts 13 when they were going to set apart Barnabas and Saul. It was enduring a time of fasting. We know that when they appointed elders, it was with fasting. Hey, if we are disciples of Jesus, do we have to? We get to fast. Fasting strengthens discipline. It lessens the hold of materialism on us. It shows God that we mean business. It lessens the power of habit. It means we seek God without distraction. It means we repent of sin. We get to fast. The true fast we discover in Isaiah. Isaiah 58 says, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you not noticed? Yet on that day of fasting, you do as you please. God had challenged them and said, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to loosen the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? I don't know who fasts in this church. i tell you what, though. I was delighted with the amount of people that took up the Lent challenge. Before Lent, we thought, hey, how do we do something in sense of togetherness? Why don't we see if we could do a, a, a prayer and fasting chain? Maybe we could have one person fast every day over 40 days. We had 80 people sign up to pray and fast. Incredible. One day, I think I was told there was 20 people on that same day. But more than us going without food, I want us to be a church that serves the needy across the borough of London and beyond. 
I want us to be involved in the food bank. I want us to be speaking up for the unborn child. I want us to be looking out for the asylum seeker. I want us to be welcoming the stranger. I want us to be assisting those that are fleeing domestic abuse. I want us to be praying, God, what's the next project you've got? I love the fact. Look, I wasn't there yesterday. I was been away at a conference for two days. But I love the fact we had some people out praying on the street yesterday. God, what's the next way we can serve this borough? That's why we're looking for a building. That's why we often think, wouldn't it be great if we could get a building in the borough so that we could serve the borough and make a difference and be around? Jesus doesn't say, if you fast. He says, when you fast. Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you serve the borough. He says, when you serve the borough. That's the thing that we're living with. So we've got this principle. It's a challenge. It's a huge challenge. Are we going to give? Are we going to fast? Phil Moore. There you go. The guy who's leading the academy. I've slipped it in again. Subliminal advertising. You hadn't even noticed. <laughs> it's well worth going on that course. My daughter's going, in case you weren't aware. <laughs> How do we do this? We should pray in secret, Phil says. Fast in secret and give in secret because we live for an audience of one. Oh, that's a challenge, isn't it? But that's really the summary of this whole thing. We live for an audience of one. Phil goes on to say in his commentary, which he's written on Matthew, let's pray, let's fast, let's give, because we have been adopted as his children. That's the ultimate thing, isn't it? He loves us, he chose us. We get to do this. Steve uh, is part of the church, and uh, often he puts some words out in poetry, which just helps us to hear these thoughts again. And he's actually going to come and read us a couple of poems that he's done, literally on the Sermon on the Mount. Thanks very much, Steve. When you give, give like the widow would, quietly and thoughtfully, wholeheartedly and consciously, like you know the value of costly. The value are given until you laughingly really hurt in your fund for a holiday. And when you give, keep the other hand wondering if it's sufficiently, not knowing if it was slight of handedly or open handedly. That way you'll be tempted to give more than you intended previously. And when you give, give hilariously. Generously, be gutsy, till the angels agree on the degree to which you plunge the depths of your car key jeans. And if in doubt, just focus on the tree and the costly sacrifice he willingly made for you and for me. Give like the widow would, like it's just between you and God, and then you'll be free. And when you fast, fast with a laugh. And sate your hunger with more of the Father. And when you fast, wield it like a weapon. Prepare for battle for his coming kingdom. And when you fast, fast with intent. Ignore your stomach's descent. Listen to reflect. Listen to expect more than you had dreamt. And when you fast, take your fill of all that he has in store for yours and for you. And whenever you fast, however you fast... Don't be downcast. 
remember fast with a laugh.